0: Well, good morning. Um, I hope you had a good Halloween, Harvest Festival, Reformation Day, whatever you call it. Um, I particularly am just a mean, stingy guy, and I don't like it when kids come over. And I got egged once, and uh, but we weren't ready that day. So, but but this time we were, and you know, because of COVID, we only had three kids come, and I'm completely fine with that. Um, but we had a good time because we were hanging out with our neighbors, and we had a bonfire, and it was fun. So it was good. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and 22. We're going to be looking at the last of the seven churches that Jesus addresses. And I want to open up with a question. Oh, hold up here. First of all, this title, What Good Are You Anyway, was not my idea. Um, If you want full credit, um, be given, it was Micah Hayes. And the Ridgeview and the Antioch has to have the same title. And if you like it, give credit to him. If you are offended by it, give credit to him. Okay. So, but let me begin with a question, okay? What is salvation for? Not what is salvation. What is salvation for? Because as, we, as many of us know, salvation comes by faith alone in Christ. It, 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 what he has accomplished. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Jesus has shown humanity what it is to walk in the very image of God well and perfectly. And when the time came, he offered his body as the Lamb of God to take upon the sins of all his people. And then in exchange by faith, as people receive his righteousness. And when you put your faith in Christ and you repent from your sins and you declare Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Amen. Okay? So that's salvation. But now what? That's the great question that has remained unanswered for many Christians. It's not their fault. Many churches don't teach now what. And that's all there is. Is it's just salvation. And so in the wake of that shallow theology is a, com- a compartmentalized life. Well, I'm saved, but I don't know now what. And so you say Jesus is Lord, but in real life, he has nothing to do with your jobs. He has nothing to do when you take your kids to baseball. He has nothing to do with your marriages or your family life. But you say Jesus is Lord. And at best, maybe, if you don't have the answer, what is salvation for, answered, at best, maybe, you're a better moral, ethical person because of it. And your mission, well, your purpose in life in this world, that's compartmentalized too. What does your mission have to do with your life? Not really anything. And so when the time comes when Pastor Derek ex- exhorts the church, go share your faith that wherever you are, you're reminded, oh right, I gotta do that. I haven't been able to, I haven't done that. I've been too chicken, I've been scared, or I have forgotten about it. Because the mission that Jesus Christ is passionate about is not central if you don't answer the question, what is salvation for? The mission is simply an attachment to your life, easily detached. So there's a constant battle with yourself. I want to tell you, listen, there's a better way to live the Christian life. Not a compartmentalized life, but an integrated life. A holistic life where the mission is central to your life. And let me tell you something. This passage we're about to read, oh boy, we better know the answer because Jesus gets fired up in this. It's the most damning indictment of all the seven churches in Revelation because this church that we're about to read about didn't care nor know what the answer is to the question, what is salvation for? have I propped it up for you. Okay. So, if you will stand with me then in honor of the reading of God's word. Read with me Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is salvation for? It is for the life of the world and the glory of God. The gospel... Is epic. It it is so much bigger than just populating heaven, although we want that. It, it, It changes the world. The gospel is relevant today. And as we see in scripture, it should change the world, or else we don't have a gospel at all. So consider the text with me. As with the rest of the six churches, we see Jesus. Addressing the church by beginning with statements about himself in verse 14. And what we see here is that the Lord Jesus Christ sets the bar in verse 14. He defines for us in himself our mission, our significance, and our hope. And we'll look at those one at a time. But first we look to Jesus. It always begins with him. Because he is, what he says, the amen. Let it be so. Jesus is saying, I'm driving the bus. Do you want to come on or not? Do we want to get on and join what he's doing for his glory and our joy? Or do we say to Jesus, no thanks, we'll just wait for the next bus? Ultimately, what I'm asking you this morning is whose voice are you listening to, to define your purpose in life? Here, we see Jesus is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. He's about to tell us what our mission in life is. He is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. What does that mean? When you see the word creation, man, I want you to get this. The New Testament isn't just talking about When we talk about creation, how things came to be. You know, when I ask my daughter and my sons, who made you? And and they rightly answer, God made me. That's good. But when we see creation, it's so much more than how things came to be. Creation is saying, when we see the word creation, it's saying, go read Genesis 1 and 2. And when we see creation... It means, it's, it's, it's the starting point of an epic story, the greatest story ever told. It's a starting point of establishing who is God and what is his purpose for humanity. That's what we're talking about when we come to creation. And Jesus is saying, I am the beginning of the creation. I am establishing what is humanity's purpose. It's quite the statement. He is the amen. Amen. So we need a more robust theology of creation than just focusing on, you know, uh, you know is this immediate creation or is this uh, does evolution coming? That's all an important story. But when we talk about creation, who is God? What is humanity's purpose? It, these are big questions. And so the epic story starts out like this. Everything in the beginning was Integrated. Every aspect of human society, family, government, the arts, trade, school, everything came together to give God glory. And he saw that it was good. But then something happened, the fall, sin. When sin introduced, was introduced in the world, everything became disintegrated. It wasn't just merely a moral issue that Adam and Eve ate the fruit that was forbidden. They wanted to usurp God's kingdom. Now you have a world that is fractured, broken, corrupt, and there's disintegration. It's kind of like there was this beautiful symphony in the beginning. You had all these different instruments that was playing beautiful music together. And they had one conductor. But then when sin was introduced, this symphony became a cacophony because everybody started to play their own notes, their own way. They didn't look to the conductor anymore. If you want a live example of a cacophony, you listen to a fifth grade band. (laughs) You know, there's just notes not being played right. There's squeaks and there's, you know, and they're not looking to the conductor. And that's what sin, that's what this broken world looks like. There's not one kingdom anymore. There are billions and it's fractured. And what Jesus came to do is to reintegrate everything. He's restoring what God had originally intended at creation. Thus he is the beginning of creation. He is bringing all this together. And so if you go back to the symphony, it's kind of like when Someone notices the conductor and says, "Oh, there's someone directing us. Hey, he's on—he's on point. Hey, come follow me. This—this this is what he's doing. Like, let's, let's play together." And more and more and more, you've got some music playing. It's still not perfect. There's still people doing their own thing, but the promise is, when Jesus returns, there will not be one instrument, one note that will be out of place. And we'll have an epic, beautiful song that will be played that will bless the world. Reintegration. So that's our mission as a church to reintegrate all of God's creation under the feet of the Lord Jesus, not just populate heaven as if our mission here on earth doesn't mean anything. New creation. So, church, our portion of Scripture exhorts us to look at Jesus in three ways as we consider this. Number one, look to Jesus for your mission. Verse 15, Jesus did something remarkable. He has nothing to commend to the church of Laodicea. You know, the pattern had been throughout the seven churches uh, is he says, I know your works. This, you did well. This is what you need to work on. Here, it's Definitely silent. Nothing is on point. He knows their works, and so they are lukewarm, he says, and therefore he will spit them out. Wow. That's harsh language. Do you know what Jesus means by that? He's, he's saying, in the, in, as you study the original language, he is repulsed by this church. It's kind of like when you see vomit, and you said, ah. Get that out of here. Flush it already. Remove it as soon as possible. That's what he's saying. And it gets me to go, well, what do I need not to do so he doesn't say that about us? And that's, that's what haunts me. He could say that to us. And what is the underlying issue here? Here's what's not the problem. So many books have been written. So many I guess American Christians have been interpreting this to mean that Jesus is talking about spiritual fervor as if to be hot is a good thing. You know, like that means you're fired up, ready to go, go Jesus. And cold is, is to be an enemy of God, to be against God, to be frigid. And so Jesus is saying, if you have that in kind of interpretation, to be lukewarm is worse than that because at least the person who's cold has some conviction, This is not what Jesus is talking about. The Laodiceans, they would have immediately understood what Jesus is talking about because of their context. Just 12 miles to the north is a city called Hierapolis. And they're known for having hot springs in their city. And there's medicinal effects. It brings healing. It blesses the city, the hot spring does. To the east, again, 12 miles is Colossae. And Colossae is a place where there's a spring water. It's cold. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. Well, where Laodicea is situated is it's perfect for commerce. Lots of rich people, lots of merchants making good money, but they got a water situation there. They got to bring the water with the Roman aqueduct, either from Colossae or from uh, Hierapolis, and by the time it reaches Laodicea, 12 miles is a long way. It becomes lukewarm. And it, it just, it's not life giving. It's not healing. It's, it actually brings nausea. Okay? So they, they understood what he's talking about. Church, this is what Jesus has actually caused such a, 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 a response to this church. He's actually saying, this church is not effective to advance the kingdom of God. That's how passionate Jesus is about the world. And that's why I say, what is salvation for? It's for the life of the world and the glory of God. He's passionate that the world would transform, and the church has a part in doing that. This church, however, went inward They had forgotten what they exist for. They say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. And that's got to make you say, if you're a follower of Jesus, what? Hold the phone here. You need nothing? Not even Christ? A, A church that says they need nothing and not even Christ is no church at all. No matter how many people are going to church, no matter how much is in the budget, no matter how, many, uh, uh, how good the band is, no matter how charismatic the speaker is, it's not a church. They're no different than a country club. They've lost the mission, the reason why they exist, and when you have a missionless church, all you want to do then, your goal then, the mission is, is, as it goes inward, is to grow big as possible, to be all about the building, all about the programs it could offer, be all about the best music, being fed by a charismatic speaker. Entertain me, this church will say. This is the kind of church that Jesus spits out because it is ineffective, it's inward only, it's its own kingdom. It doesn't need Jesus as the conductor of the symphony of life. This kind of church is like a violin section that plays beautiful music. You've got professionals and they're on point with notes and the music and all that. The problem is they're not looking to the conductor. In fact, they're playing a whole different song. And so as the conductor is leading, it doesn't matter how beautiful this violin section, all they're doing is adding to the cacophony. This should wake us up, church. What is our mission? What is our purpose as a church? What is your individual mission in life? What's your purpose? What is salvation for? It is for the life of the world and the glory of God. Jesus is leading our symphony. He is, he is setting the mission. He is, doesn't say stay. He says go wherever you are. And you will be inconvenienced. He doesn't promise comfort. It takes to make disciples of all nations. That takes time and effort and, and resources. It can get messy and that's why we're church planning. We're not church planning with image fellowship because of we're disgruntled or because we've got pride in thinking we can do church better. We're doing it because of obedience to Jesus Christ and His Great Commission. What's really awesome is you've probably been hearing stats, you know, in newspapers that says, you know, the church, the church is shrinking in America. It's not true. It's just that the way we count it is different now, traditionally. What churches are figuring out is, oh, wait a minute, to be effective. That's the key. Are we effective in changing the world for Christ? It's not about growing the biggest church, although there's nothing wrong with a big church. It's not about having the greatest music, although it's awesome we have great music. No, it's about multiplying churches. And I can get all in that, but um, the people back there will get angry at me if I keep on going and going and going. And you will get angry at me, and I don't need that right now. There's going to be plenty of anger on November 3rd, so let's not worry about that, okay? So I'm going to have to stop there. But, um, but, just, but there, there are practical ways of, of thinking about, and this is an invitation to you this morning. How effective am I in advancing the kingdom of God? Not just saying, well, I'm going to leave that to the pastors and to the elders or the super Christians. How am I doing? To really take stock and go and just just ponder and ask Jesus to speak to you, actually. How am I doing, Jesus? Would you say to me, I will spit you out? Or will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Because your mission in life doesn't revolve around you. No, you revolve around the mission. Have we forgotten? We are not our own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to you. So don't just think about if the church is effective or not. Are you doing it? And, And a way, a practical way to just take the first step is if you feel called join me in this church plant and and I and, and 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 what we're doing is is a movement for the life of the world i have a passion for johns county and specifically leewood and now more and more kansas city missouri right across the border of st line and, and one of the first steps you can do is you can join me. because in, On November 8th, I'm going to be starting a Bible study at 530. Child care is provided, of course. And just see, you don't have to join, but just see what image is all about. I invite you, 530 to 7. Another way you can practically just take your first step is there's a discipleship program here at Blue Valley. Jonathan Locke has, has started one. There's a program there. And, and, we can, and you can see and take steps. You don't have to figure it out on your own. There's ways you can do it. And, and it's not for super Christians. It's for everybody who calls themselves followers of Jesus. So those are practical ways. But here's the thing. I know. I know. Because I go through it too. We've been distracted with busyness. Modern people are busier than any other humans at any point of history. And we've been pushed and pushed and pushed, in our mindset, even in the Midwest, we go, 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 go to work. Take your kids to practice. Do these activities. All the cares of this world just takes over, and, and there's little thought to, how does this all come together? Is this is Jesus pleased with all this? How is Jesus Lord of all this? What's my purpose in life and not stop and ask the big question? And it's sometimes it feels like we're a hamster on a wheel that's just going and going nowhere. And if you have a fertile soil in your heart right now, and you can be honest and say, man, you know what? I'm not really effective for the kingdom, but I want to be. Man, my life is compartmentalized, but my, I want my life to be integrative, to be holistic, put everything under the feet of Jesus. If you're that kind of person, I got some words for you. Well, Jesus does actually. So let's consider the second part. Look to Jesus. How do we repent? Look to Jesus for your significance. Look at verse 18 with me. I counsel you. Here, look how the tone switches from a rebuke to care. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white, in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We see here there are three different ways that we need to identify in our lives that are reasons for our ineffectiveness. The first one that Jesus identifies is sin. Sin is the biggest reason why. Sin distracts you from looking to Christ to conduct the symphony of your life. And actually, you know what? Sin is much more devious than that. Sin enslaves you. Sin says to you, you are mine. You will not look to Jesus. You, will not look to, you can look anywhere else. Just don't look to Jesus. You can create your own purpose in life. You can be happy doing this and that. And it has a tight grip on you that you can't break apart on your own. And so what Jesus is saying is he has the power, like if you're a gold bar, to bring you down to a molten state. And when that happens, you become glowing orange. And impurities start to float to the top. And Jesus scoops that out, taking out the impurities of your life. That's sin. You can't do it on your own. So identifying sin in your life, going to Jesus Buying from him gold is what he's talking about. And sometimes that takes humility. Sometimes that hurts. But it's always worth it in the end to rid sin of your life. Another reason for ineffectiveness is shame. Shame tells you you're no good. You're a worthless person. Shame creates, makes you look inward. When our forefathers, or Adam and Eve, when they realized for the first time ever that they were naked, and ashamed, it was the first time in human history the image of God despised him or herself. And instead of doing their God-given task of, of exercising dominion on God's behalf, what a great privilege that is, because they were so ashamed that all they could do was focus on hiding. Shame is a great weapon satan uses to make you ineffective christ says i'm providing you clothes clothes it's a kingly priestly robe it's so amazing it'll put joseph's coat of many colors to shame he covers your shame jesus came to take away the shame in you he says there is now Therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. That's what he's come to do. He's come to restore your identity as the very image of God and to restore your purpose in life and to make the mission of God the very central of your life. You know, if we can go back to the symphony, I kind of think about this. What if an oboe had a personality? You look at the oboe. It's not impressive, is it? In fact, it can be quite annoying. Kind of nasally, kind of squeaky. It's like, really? You're in the symphony? All right. And if the oboe had a personality, it just might very well look at the trumpet section and go, wow, it's very majestic. Whoa, that saxophone is pretty cool. That violin section, they just move people the way they wisp you away. What do I have to offer? But there comes to a point in Jesus' song where it calls for an oboe solo and no other instrument will do. And folks, that's what, that's what shame wants you to do, to stop you from doing that solo because there is a purpose that only you can fulfill. He, is, he has not messed up when he made you as you deal with body image, with your own image, as you figure out with all these insecurities. And we're tying this back to shame. Shame is is a great weapon against God's kingdom to make you look inward. And Christ has come to take away from that to his glory. Another lastly reason for ineffectiveness is blindness. When you grope in the dark, you don't know where you're going, obviously. And so you lose the mission. Sometimes the blind leads the blind away from the mission. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our eyes are naturally drawn towards light, and we follow it. And Christ has opened our eyes so that we can see the light of God's glory. I mean, doesn't it fire you up if you see someone transformed because, of the gospel it makes you go on mission well let's do it again doesn't it fire you up when you see someone mature in christ you get on mission when you see the beauty of god and then you see the ugliness of the world apart from god you get on mission christ has opened your eyes opened your ears to these things and so you get on mission And here's a promise. Third way to be effective for the kingdom is number three look to Jesus for your hope. Jesus is saying to you this morning, verse 20. Here's a famous verse Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And man, do we misuse it? Many times we use it for evangelism, but this isn't for non believers. This is for a a specific kind of church, namely an ineffective church for the kingdom of God. Notice that Jesus is not inside the house, but outside. But he's promising I stand at the door and knock, I will always come in and individually. We focus on the door so much. Have we ever thought about what's inside the house that Jesus is coming into? Many times, the, 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 the cleanest time that your house will ever be is when you have guests come over, right? Like the other day, we had the huddles come over to our new house, and we miscalculated how we could get ready for them. We hadn't settled it in yet. We, we were using the huddles as motivation to get everything situated, but five kids, two puppies work, we finally came to a point where there's only minutes away until the Huddles will come over. We still had dishes. I smelled, I smelled a lingering odor one of my dogs left behind. And they came over early. And I was like, I just gave up. And we had a good old time anyway. But have you thought about really the state of your heart that Jesus is coming into that he's willing to come into. I guarantee you what's really going on in this house, this heart is, it it probably looks like a hoarder's house, you know, with things clutter everywhere, things piling up because of the things you won't let go in your heart. Maybe there's dust and cobwebs everywhere because of spiritual neglect. Maybe it's filthy because of lust. Whatever the house looks like, it probably deserves to be condemned and boarded up. That's really when we use God's holiness as a standard and then you look at your heart. Wow, there's an infinite chasm there. And Jesus is saying, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. And what's beautiful about this is after you eat, your belly is full and you're happy, he sticks around. And there's a complete makeover. And what's beautiful about that is now that the house used to bring down the neighborhood, the value of the neighborhood, that is your heart, is now a beautiful house. You know, like one of those makeover shows you see on TV. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's, it's just like everybody's looking. Wow, look at that house. Look at the landscape. Who is, who is responsible for this? And they find out Jesus is. And now everybody in the neighborhood knows that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now, you see now, the salvation is not just for you and me. Salvation is for the life of the world and the glory of God. And so notice this. When Jesus is saying, repent, if you are not effective for the kingdom, the answer is not try hard or stupid. It's come to me. Like he says in, other parts of the, or in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He just says, come to me. Experience transformation and witness effectiveness in your life. Let's pray.